Welcome to Give and Take. It's a podcast where yours truly, Scott Jones, talks with artists, activists, authors, theologians, philosophers, scholars, political pundits, and a host of others about their world, their work, and the lens through which they experience life. I engage my guests in a conversation that's free-flowing, entertaining, unexpected, occasionally bizarre, oftentimes enlightening and informative, and above all else, deeply human. Thanks for listening to this episode of Give and Take. My guest is Jane Rosenzweig. She spent her career developing corporate DEI strategies anchored in social justice foundations. Relying on cultural change and social movement methodologies, she has been able to galvanize the involvement of thousands of associates from all around the world. Using curiosity and conversation, she has helped teams deepen their understanding of identity difference and commit to disrupting bias in day-to-day life. With a strong focus on systems and structures, her approach is rooted in her belief that empathy and dialogue can solve most things. We had a great conversation. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Jane, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Scott. Happy to be here. So full disclosure, and this is why I actually want to start the conversation, but we are friends. Uh, we, we we are friends that have really only had limited um They've only had limited access slash exposure to people in real life. So I really hung out with you socially the first time ever recently. And we are friends through an application called Clubhouse. So Jane, I'm asking you for the listeners, like 95% of which have no idea what social audio is or Clubhouse. Can you explain this phenomenon and why, why you're on it and why, why you, because we've met through it. What, why, what are you doing on this app? You're a grown woman and you're on this app. (laughs) Very grown. Well... The people are so interesting, even the ones that I have. Okay, so what is it? This is how I always try to describe it. It's um, chat, chat, live chats happening, conversations going on that you can listen into or jump into, start. So I have found it because it fits with my lifelong curiosity that was once called nosiness. I, I mean, I just find it fascinating to hear people talking. And that's how I... Got fascinated with you, just chatting in a room. I said, smart guy. Who is this guy? Right. I forget what room. And, and for people that don't understand, there's rooms in anything. Yeah. Like if you look at your hallway, it, 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 which is your hallway, is just a list of the rooms, I suppose. And there'll be things from, you know, social hour, MAGA patriots, liberal Jews, atheists ask for reasons to believe in God. I mean, you could write anything you Meditation, want. Psychedelics, meditation, psychedelics, all manner of yeah. that. Business opportunities that I never want. But, yeah, right. Bitcoin used yes. to be a big thing. Cryptocurrency. I got a wallet. From, yeah, because I was in a robot clubhouse. So I didn't have a crypto wallet before that. So yes. it, it's interesting. I, I, I'm curious how how do you find so when you go on social audio? What is it? Did, have you learned things about the country? I mean, has I it changed your view of the country? Has it changed your view of the cultural landscape at all? More validated it, I'd say. Some of my more reductive and negative positions about the South have been confirmed. I realize it's not a monolith. <laughs> it's not everybody. I know. Uh, but no, it's more validated that people are inside their own lives and viewpoints. And I do find it interesting. I also, as you know, have gotten in a few uh, skirmishes, kerfuffles, you know, noticing the co- conflicting uh, people I don't want to interact with who started to bother me. I realized I don't have to be here. 
I can isolate myself. That's one thing that's different. I like that. When I, but before I figured that out, I'd feel myself going, why am I letting my blood pressure go up for a social audio app? But I, I think it's interesting that you say validate. So do you, do you find you hear people say things that you suspected they thought? And then you're like, wow, they, I'm not caricaturizing this person's views. They're really saying it. Yes. Uh, an example, as you well know, the political issue of uh, abortion. Not to go straight to the jugular of topics, but this is Clubhouse, right? This is how it goes. But women's autonomy, bodily autonomy, all these issues that it's not that I wasn't aware there was a large group of people who don't face that that's a right for women. Hearing people say that they don't think women should have a right to their own medical health care decisions, that did freak me out a little, So, just as an example. And so that's interesting. So you and your husband, when you were, you're, you live in upstate New yeah. York, I guess you call it upstate yeah. New York, the Catskills, right? It's the Rochester upstate. people don't, but I do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, so you, when you're running around the, your social circles, you just don't hear people say, oh my gosh, the Supreme Court didn't go far enough. Like, no. <laughs> like you, yeah. You don't hear that, but, but you could go in this app and you could hear it. Exactly. And even in my, uh, as you know, I've worked at one company for a long time. And sometimes talked about contentious things, but even there, there's like that workplace boundary that exists. There's a filter at work, right? That that this app, no, it's very interesting because like on all social media, and you and I have experienced this, certain people are anonymous and certain people aren't. I mean, do you think anonymity online breeds more toxic behavior? Probably to to some degree. I, I think it, well, I immediately went to, the in those little uh skirmishes i've mentioned when i've asked what am i doing i'm I'm an alleged pacifist i don't like fighting uh, and i'm getting into arguments with people uh so i wondered even for myself why am i getting into a debate with someone who in real life i would just go nice to meet you keep it pleasant move on so even for myself yes but yeah then some of the shit i've received pardon me my language if yeah. Oh, you can okay. say anything you want. Great. You, all all profanity is allowed. Great. On it. It's it's the internet. All it's right, the good. internet. As you know. Okay. So I'll stop filtering. So Scott, can what about you? I mean, we've been in some of these rooms where you realize this person's an actual. Uh, you know, they're talking about the wall, the when Trump was Trump's wall, and and they were just not shy at all about and being an anti-immigration person, and talking about people at the border like in really dehumanizing ways okay i know that happens it's a point of view but i don't hear it to your point so right that that's the thing i mean i think that's i i experienced the same thing like it's one thing to hear about something said on fox news that's sensational or something uh, or or again and i'm not just picking on the right uh, because i mean i think there's also um views that are probably further left than the average person you would you would interact yeah. with right i mean i think there's probably people more comfortable saying they're socialists and stuff than you would in 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 average dinner parties mm-hmm. in Metro Philadelphia or something yeah. like that, even in progressive places. But but like I I mean some of the stuff I mean to, I had this interaction today. I was in a, a morning room uh, and there was somebody that you and I both know from the Midwest who is is a a a, a, a very prominent conservative on the app, and I just on the app. The the things on the the things he was saying it was like it wasn't that he was conservative it was fantasy land it was what about Biden and this and 
And and and, and, and this is yeah, a guy that right. li- that and, likes that likes little girls to rub his hair and his legs and all this. Stuff. I mean, there's something you're saying. It's just it is insane. And and that's what I I think is interesting that you see. But and yet, well, at the same time, I have lovely conversations oh. with people that 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 are wonderful, and I learn a lot. And the continuum metaphor is overused, but it's a spectrum. Look it at is. us. I mean, we we feel like right. real friends and. Now that we've gotten together in real life once, we know it's true, but it was already true. It's like a long lead up to a date. Somehow. You know, it's, it's, it's as if we were exchanging messages. Yeah. And by the way, I just want to say for the record, since we're recording this, one of the best parallel parks. I oh, love parallel parks. Thank you. I, I hoped we would I, go I, here. This is- I saw you. So we're at, for those of you who, who know about Philadelphia, we're on Chestnut Street and, and Phil, you and your husband, your lovely Saturday. husband picked me up. And I said, let's go over, you know, go to the downtown area, Rittenhouse area. Because it'll be good people watching uh-huh. and whatnot. So we go to this place, this restaurant um, on Chestnut. And not to, this is a three-lane, one-way road, okay? There's a major artery in Philadelphia. You, I said, you could get in there. You stop. There's cars behind us. <laughs> no, I mean, no flinching. You didn't even look at the backup camera. You were like Luke Skywalker <laughs> in Star Wars when he switches off the targeting computer. And just, it was a power parking Thank move. Thank you. I, I mean... It felt like that to me too. And I would only add for your listeners context. I don't know Philly and you know, I've been there before, but I'm, I'm uh, bringing only my New York, you know, every city I go to, I do this because I, I use it as a test of my own inner strength, city driving. But yeah, this was an interesting thing as a friendship. I've been talking to you since 2021, not yeah. talking in the way, you know, I'm married and you have other activities, but yeah, right. we're not, we're not macking no, on each no, other. No. So like talking in the modern sense, but we've met and had been, have been friends for a couple of years. And when I heard you say from the backseat, do it. I immediately trusted you. Yeah. yeah. I was like goose in top gun. I was the, I was behind, yeah. you know, it was the co-pilot. You, I there. said, he scanned it. Okay. I was being a bit tentative. I'm a little ashamed that I wasn't going for it, by the way. But I feel I immediately jumped into, as you say, I don't know Star Wars that well, but I did feel that. And I saw my husband, who's a little more of a nervous driver. And I think he might have said, oh, gee. like he was more nervous than us. And, and I think it's a metaphor for life. Just I just went in the zone, like you said, relied on my prior skills. And but Scott, why do you love parallel parking? Like, I think I like it because it was used to be hard. Something I feel like is a marker of bravery or something i think i don't know i always thought like first off it was the big thing of your driver's Is test it? right like my road test when i was 17 in new jersey yeah that was the big thing and a k-turn and that's what a k-turn right the k-turn the three points oh, but but then when i was i lived most of my adult life in cities yeah and i just it become parking is such a it, it's very different than in the suburbs right where where the only parking thing you worry about is how far you walk like okay yeah. You know, if if I, I might have to walk for two extra minutes because I'm at the edge of the parking lot, but there's no skill. I mean, there's no skill involved in suburban parking. I agree. There are more of the levels. And there's though. no pressure. And there's no pressure. I'm going to make a note of something. I would like to ask you about a moral issue in parking lots. I know it's, it, you're, you're guiding this. Okay. I have a thing where let's say it's called the handicap space. Maybe it should be, say, spaces for people with disabilities. Sure, for people with disabilities, sure. But, uh, and we call it the handicaps. I, if there's a spot, Scott, right next to one of those spots designated for people with disabilities, 
I don't like to take it because I think, you know, I, I don't need it. You know, I should leave it for someone who may come and not get into their, you know, with their placard. At least they could have the adjacent. But it has been pointed out to me. Schmuck, someone else is going to take it. Like, yeah, I drive to a further spot. Do you have any guidance on this? I think, okay, I do. And I, I applaud your moral sensibilities here. I am, I was pastor of a church that was in the suburbs years ago and we met in this warehouse. So we had limited, we had parking, it was part, but we only had like maybe 15 or 20, 15 spots, like 20 in our, in our, that were like right yeah. in our building parking lot. And then there were other parking lots scattered all lots. around. Yeah. Oh, well, there you could go. And so I always drove like the f- far away. In fact, my buddy and I were pastors together. We used to judge who was more Christian by who parked further away. So I was like, I am six more spots Christian than you today. <laughs> like I, I can, win. you only know how much a better Christian. I'm 50 feet more Christian than you. That's how it's so, Davidian. But even my last yeah, car, sorry, my last congregation, I did the same thing. I mean, I, I never parked and because I always thought about the, but what about the pregnant woman? What about the first time visitor? Exactly. What about the person that's running late? Cause they can't get their kids together. Like leave the spot for that person. Ah, uh, so I guess as long as we will be friends, we'll keep discovering these uh, morally aligned. Moral, we we have very similar moral systems. I don't know why, though. You're a Christian guy, and and yet it transcends all of that. I think this is worth, oh, I think about this a lot. I'm not questioning it. Yeah, yeah, let me ask you this about this. Because I think I would put you in a a growing category, right, of called like sort of something like the spiritual, not religious ground, right? Or humanists. Or they would say... Yeah, like, or, or, or Pew studies, they would identify as they call them the nuns, people that, not like the flying nun, but like the, the people that aren't in any conscious self-identified institution, but have spiritual interests, a lot of these people. Yeah. So that, that's interesting. I mean, so you, I know you're into meditation and other forms of, forms of spiritual practice. So, I mean, how, how do you interact with people? Because you come from sort of an interfaith background. And how is that background and, and your own sort of spirituality, how has that affected how you interact with people of other faiths? Yeah. Well, well, for the record, I, I, I was raised, I was baptized, what's the communion, confirmation in the right. Catholic Church. But I divested that when I was an adult. My mom's Catholic. My dad is Jewish. And I... So you're a patrilineal Jew, which is we talk about all the time on Clubhouse. Yeah, and someone said, well, that's not a thing. But I don't agree. So, as you know, we know it's an ethno Guess religion. What? Yeah. Guess what? In Germany in yeah. 1939, it would have been yeah. a thing. It would have been uh-huh. a thing. Exactly. And as we both know, culturally, and that's my affinity more than uh, my mom is Irish Catholic. It's not that I don't, I don't disavow being Irish. I'm just saying that Catholicism part. Anywho, I think my parents who found each other in the 60s and had three kids, they, they must have had just a common... Um, to answer your actual question, like the moral sensibility was like, be nice to people, service. My dad's a cop. My mom's a nurse. So I don't know. I guess it comes from that to answer succinctly. But there was always times in life where my dad in particular and my mom in other ways, they made sure to say to me, my brother, my sister, I'm the oldest. Uh, it's as if they were watching for us to not become suburban idiots and we're white, but um, so they, they just did a lot of like exposure things like fifth grade project. I told my dad about this recently. It was about alcoholism and 
my dad took me with his Nikon. This was a big deal. This was probably 1978 or something. And we, you know, in New York City, the reference to the Bowery, that's really fine now, sure, but the old sure. days. Uh, a lot of people who I guess we would call homeless now, unhomed, a lot of addicted people. And my dad, we just interviewed them, Scott. And, and wow. we took photos and my dad took really good pictures. And I spoke with these men mostly. I don't think there are any women. But I can tell you, this is, uh, you know, 45 years ago or 40 years ago. And I remember it vividly. Those human beings, I can see the, the face of one guy who showed me his ear, which was all mangled from some fight. And like, so my parents were like that. They were like deliberate about the morality of their uh, family, their kids. So I think that is the source. And my mom would be the same way, just indifferent, like always inviting someone, helping someone. So the source of my... I'm mm-hmm. curious, could, do you remember anything those guys at the Bowery said? I mean, is anything that st- stuck with you over the years? Don't drink alcohol, which I did not obey, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Very few people do obey that. I know. Okay. <laughs> uh, stay in school, I think one of them said. And I think they were very willing to share their stories. So I kind of remember their, how did I get here? You know, I was just a regular kid. I grew up here. That's more, I don't remember the details, but uh, that commonality, I think is what was. So they saw in you someone they did not want, uh, they didn't want you to repeat their mistakes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think also they were not showboating for my dad, but my da- here's my dad, a cop. So he's come down there, badge out, you know, Andy Rosenzweig. You know, this was... So they know he's yeah. a cop. They, they're, they, he's not in uniform, no. but they know he's a cop. Correct. And, and his energy is cop energy in, in a, not a bad way. Um, I, I've spoken with your dad. Oh, on yeah, the you heard him. And it's yeah. very, yeah, it's very, you know, very... Um, Serious. He reminds yeah. me a little bit of how... When Howard Stern talks yeah, about his father, I think of your dad, Andy. I think of like that's like it's like Stern talks yeah. about like Howard. his dad, you know, like, you know, yeah, like when they would go to a restaurant and, oh. and Howard, what you don't know what you want. We come to the restaurant <laughs> all the time. It's what, yeah, what you're gonna make the way to sit yeah. here. I mean, How, you know what you're gonna, uh, yeah, there was a little <laughs> of that, uh, for sure. But I think my dad was probably very much like, you know, you're not in trouble. This is my daughter respecting them and, and treating them very well. And I, I don't think I was scared of them. I think he humanized people who most of us are socialized to, you know, avoid at best. Uh, and I, I know that stuck with me as a mom, just to brag about my daughter. And, and so we, when she was little, she lived in Manhattan, 18th and 1st Scott, just for the context for your listeners. And we'd walk all over the East Village or Gramercy Park. And if people were giving out flyers, so she's born in 97, so early 2000. I, she brought this up to me recently. She's like, do you still take flyers? And I forced her, if someone was giving out a flyer as their job, I'd say, take the flyer and look the person in the eye and say, thank you. That's beautiful. I always intuitively, I think that came from my parents. You know, that, why did I know that? But there was just something very deeply that's a beautiful thing when you say that i think of you know martin buber the great jewish philosopher he says you know the i thou uh, relationship because so so much of our our relationships in in, in the capitalist sort of fast-paced culture are i it yeah you know where so that to tell her not to it the person the person's a thou oh my god scott that's beautiful 
Did you? We've probably talked about Martin Buber before because I know your yeah. brilliance. And but I, I know, but that I, but I, I read a little Buber. Though. I yeah, well, I read a little, and I don't remember a lot of like I'm not strong academically, although I got a couple degrees. Uh, but I remember Martin Buber so well. I think it just spoke to my, my exact. It's one of the great religious philosophers of the 20th century. Yeah. It's an unbelievable guy. Yeah, and and a religious. I, like, I didn't know he was a religious philosopher. Like, so that's, you know, just. Yeah, huge in, in Jewish thought. Yeah. In this. I mean, he's one of the top Jewish thinkers of the 20th century. Oh, my God. After us, like, we're a whole Jew, right? We, we have laughed about that. I mean, that. look at this. You and I. <laughs> we're making. Yeah. Let me ask Is you. Is that important? So, I, I think Jews joke no, like that. I love it. All have I love Jews. It. I, I, yeah, of course. Okay, of course. Yeah. Of course. No one on Clubhouse thinks I'm a Christian. Uh, no, no Jew, anyway. Um, yeah. So. And like, you just don't <laughs> act like a Christian. You, th- you, you, you know, well, that's I mean, the cultural so part, I, I, I think. When, yeah, exactly. I, mean. I, I think, okay, so I'm intrigued. I said to several people after we hung out, I was like, Jane and Michael are like, a, they seem like a best friend Aww. couple. Like they, she's found someone that's her best friend. No, you guys met and married later in life. Do you, you, think, do you <laughs> think people, and not that every successful couple has to be best friends, but it is a nice thing. Right? It's very nice to be around couples that are very good friends, you know, um, there's a synergy that, you know, comes to the relational table. Do you think you had better success in in the sort of partnering marriage endeavor, so to speak, because it was later in life? Did, is it self-knowledge? Is it, you know, because I'm, it's not like that was your first relationship. Oh, right? no, it was not. Uh, yes, I think so. It, it, in particular ways that I'm still discovering. And I don't even know if it's about me or as much as it's about how he was. And is as a man. So it's debatable whether men should describe themselves as feminists. But Michael proudly did. And before we ever met, he said, he goes, you know, I'm rereading uh, Gloria Steinem's The Revolution Within. Such a power move. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to get on Tinder. and (laughs) That is my next intro to somebody. I'm just reading some Gloria Steinem. (laughs) I'm rereading a little Steinem. What are you doing? It got me. It worked on me. And, And... so I, why did I share that? Because I think, yeah, I know myself better. I, but whenever I've, like, I, I don't, I, I have a lot of deep reasons probably why and I'll spare you, but my big relationships, my ex-husband, Maya's dad, that was a very loving relationship. It just was highly probably doomed to fail for practical issues. Uh, but I take some pride in, we really loved each other. It was one of these magnetic things and we met and I was moving a dramatic story. I was in DC. I'm moving to New York. I meet this guy. And, um, his name was Michael too. Did I ever tell you that? I, o- I only marry Michaels is, is the joke. Yeah. Uh, my dad is Michael. So right. he, <laughs> here you go. It's just public service. Yeah, like God forbid anything, yeah. anything happens to your husband, <laughs> all the Michaels in the crowd are going to be sending emails. Yeah, or warn them. Yes. One of those, but that on the issue of friendship, it wasn't a friendship first. I think we developed one and had a life. And me and Michael, I don't think we're friendship first. We met, you know, online and it, it wasn't just a friendship, but we have built a friendship. That's one thing I think. Do you think because though you're, you were able to build a friendship because you both knew each other, knew, I mean, knew yourselves yeah. better later in life. So you kind of, because I think what, a lot of people meet and have significant relationships in their 20s and just don't know who they are. Yeah. And I thought I did. I mean, I I wasn't that young. I was 
27 when I got married. Now I think, who did, why did you think you knew like anything? But I just went with the, I think Scott, I just followed the rules in my life, the path, get, you know, good grades. I had gotten in trouble in eighth grade. I had a a brush with the law almost. I, I, I was um, breaking the law and I got in big trouble. What do you do in the eighth grade? You pack and eat? I mean, what do you? Marijuana. Would you steal something? Cut school, oh, marijuana. Okay, okay. But my dad's a narcotics detective. Okay, so this, wow. in this family, and uh, here is the Jewish Catholic thing sh- showing up. So I, yeah, it was in eighth grade. Yeah, so I was being, I guess it was a crime. All I know is uh, these are my memories of it. My pa- Both parents came to the school, my mom and my dad. And my mom later said, you're happy you made your father cry. And she's the Catholic one, right? Isn't this, is there an irony in this? I'm like, because he thought my child is, is in the wrong crowd. And this is, the, I already knew he was not going to approve of this. But anyway, what they did was um, send me to a Catholic school for one year. Ninth grade, I did at Our Lady of Victory in Dobbs Ferry, New York, which meant I had a whole disruption of my life. So anyway, I... I I think after that, I was like, I, I got to follow all the rules. I'm not going to fuck up again. And now I didn't. Did we have did we have nuns at the school? Oh, yeah. Or was it straight? Jay Rosenzweig, oh, okay. new student, ninth grader, Our Lady of Victory. And I had just gotten permission to get out of, you know, YCS. You had just graduated. Yeah, I had my confirmation. I was forced to do that. So I think I'm probably quite uh, spiritually confused through the years, but I did always get drawn to things that were about love and unconditional love and so boober no surprise i am thou and humanistic things you know professionally you've spent a life in diversity and diversity equity inclusion and, and now now that's oh, it's interesting yeah. because that's that's a term now like i mean it when i you know years ago there, there wasn't a term now but now we know what it is I, i'm interested because you've spent your life in big corporations helping people negotiate diversity and and relationships in the workplace and things you know of this nature now this has become we're we're, we're this there's this term woke now this happens in our clubhouse this rooms and and in in popular culture even people on the left someone like bill maher who is left of center in his political positions he find you find him kind of ranting on about the problem with woke wokeness and and liberal wokeism and he's like no so how do you i mean do you have thoughts on this kind of discussion as someone who's who spent a, a, a lifetime i'm tr- and attempting to help people navigate diversity i know thank you scott it is a lifetime because so i've been asked this before how'd you get into that because i started formally working in a job that had the diversity title on it in 1998 you know this is a very long time ago jp morgan chase big bank right banking was doing a lot in the 90s, as you know. So do I, what was your question? Do I connect my professional work to these I mean, spiritual I mean, anchors? Think, no, I mean, well, I mean, it's so, I, I'm curious too, because we, we have made a lot of progress in diversity inclusion in this country. I mean, it's certainly not enough, but I mean, it's, 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 you know, there, since the civil rights movement, there have been real gains in this yeah. country, but we're seeing, we're seeing people that are, I mean, I think DEI people are often villainized oh, yeah. in parts of the culture. It's looked at as intellectual policing. It's looked at as censorship. It's looked at, again, the, the term woke well, is, is something that is it originated in the black community as a positive thing. Of course, yeah. Now, yeah. I never hear it used positively. I mean, it's always an accuracy. You woke this or you woke that. 
So I'm wondering how you feel about these conversations, the tensions that are arising. I yeah. mean, does it, does it, is it disheart, is it disheartening as someone who's worked for, for inclusion and, and, and things like that in the workplace? I mean, yes and no. So first I should do a good form and anchor myself in my racial identity as a white woman, despite my being a Jewish person culturally, I still know how whiteness works, as they say. So I don't want to. You're often granted privilege. Like, like it, 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 yeah. I even say you have advantages you don't even know you have. That's how I define privilege. Right. When people, right. especially those start interrupting, when people say, oh, well, I don't have any money. I didn't have privilege. That, Like a lot of the, the research was probably good. Let's going back, social science, 70s, even before. It got corporatized and re- reduced. Really complicated things got just reduced to like taglines. And I think that's one of the deepest problems. The other is a lot of people have a lot of bigotry inside them that they don't see, especially majority group people. So the idea of being normative, so whether it's race, normative is white people in America, not in the globe, right? We know that. Uh, so coming back to Earth, I don't care like the the people the anti-woke movement is not different to me scott than the people in um the late 90s early 2000s who are saying things like it's a meritocracy you know everybody has their fair shake and, and they would of course rally against the idea of being politically correct just like bill Barr did so i don't think the dynamic and as far as organizations is that different however the Trump factor amplified a lot, as we know, and um, and then video showing the murder of black people, extrajudicial murder. Like there was just more of a more white people who were living in denial, in my viewpoint. And I don't say that in a mean way. I know as a white person, I was raised to be very much in denial about the reality. In fact, I once said to my dad, and he heard me uh, describe myself as you know, our family, we were, everyone's from the Bronx. And then we moved to the suburbs. I'm sure part of white flight in one way or another, because this is in the early seventies. He goes, oh, I take a sec. Uh, no, what did he say? I'm nervous. He said, I take some exception to that. I don't know if it was white flight, but I'm like, no, dad, it was kind of a thing. <laughs> I mean, we literally fit the, the description. So anyway, in some ways that's not new, but the biggest work of my life I thought I'd be a civil rights lawyer, by the way. Did I ever tell you that? That was, no. yeah. But I, and I applied to law school in 1991, 1990. Wow. Seven schools. Where did, where did, where, where, wow. Okay. What was the hardest school you applied to? Brooklyn Law School, maybe. Uh, okay. Okay. I was trying to reorient myself back in there. George Washington, uh, probably also. Oh, yeah. wow. 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 I overshot, perhaps you would say, but it was at a time when too many people were applying to law schools. Right. It was saturated. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not academically strong. So I'm like a straight average. I'm not you, Scott. You know, I can't excel in academic. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not but I'm, no, that's I, I didn't get into those seven schools. And my dad, I remember my dad, I hope I know this goes without saying with you, but for posterity, uh, my dad's great. I'm, I might describe him in these tough ways and someone could get this. Charming yeah, guy. Charming uh, this guy. is a coach to me. He's very, very close to my dad. But he was. Basically, I lived my life doing what he told me. After that mishap in eighth grade, I was like, yep, I'll do it. I don't want to get in trouble again. Early learner. Yeah. Wow. I, <laughs> I didn't smoke weed in high school. Like, I stayed straight and narrow. My, you know, my dad told me to major in political science. 
that's what I majored in. But I didn't really like that, but I led me to the major of justice, social justice, essentially, or like a broader. But I was not that smart. And when people would ask me, so then I was like, yeah, I can be a civil rights lawyer or maybe a public defender. And um, but I didn't get into the law schools. My dad goes, oh, you'll try again next year. I said, no. So uh, somehow I know I'm not doing that again. But in every job I had, which was they didn't have any these jobs. One was in the government. And when I first got to Chase, these weren't, you know, diversity jobs. But what happened was when they would send out memos, remember memos, you're, uh, would you like to volunteer to be an equal employment opportunity counselor or investigator? And anyone could sign up. This is when I worked in, in D.C. I was like, fuck yeah. And I write my memo to apply and I got into it. So I, 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 I had this job. They called it a collateral assignment. So it wasn't in any formal. EE, you know what EEO is? Equal employment opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. With Scott, they allowed a 23-year-old to go to investigate a case of a... Wow. I know. My dad was proud. You know, the Yiddish word felling, I'm pretty sure when I was an EEO investigator, this was... A, I was proud. It's like law enforcement. Yeah. I was adjacent. Uh, I worked for someone, you know, would analyze this as very, you know, probably predictable. But I worked, my internship in college was with the U.S. Attorney's Office, and the guy I worked for was a retired homicide detective in, um, from Washington, D.C. So I didn't stray from this bubble of cop land. It's wow. ironic. Wow. But anyway, I, I've lost my train of thought. But the point is, oh, yeah, my favorite class in the last year of college, and I actually got an A, and I'm not saying this like in a self-effacing way. I really don't think I got any other A's in college. But in this one, I got an A for two reasons. The topic, race and social justice in America, and also the format, small group sitting around the table talking. And I was like, oh, great, I can do this. It, I just didn't have the right, like I, I could never get into college unless I was like going to talk to someone. No shock. But anyway, so my path was just doing jobs and finding these opportunities. And then at Chase, someone said, like, you're more interested in your extracurriculars. Why don't you try to get into the HR diversity team? So I'll pause there on the resume story. But that's all rooted for me, I guess, why I answered that way. Um, I've been working on the ideas of individual belonging and justice for a while, like caring about that and finding a way to contribute to that in workplaces. So, but you don't do civil rights work in J.P. Morgan or in W.L. Gore, where I work. That's not what you're doing. You're, you're not doing social justice. Your diversity was very, uh, I think wisely, but many have critiqued this, defined as almost like, I don't remember anyone saying this, but the concept of post-racial or, you know, like, let's just not talk about all this, you know, that women weren't really equal in the eyes of the law. And when they became so just, right to vote. It wasn't all the women. It was only the white women. And those white women didn't really care that much about the black and brown women. So like all of these issues were not really part and parcel of what I experienced in my early diversity days. It was like avoided, avoiding the truth. That's what it felt like to me. So I didn't do it that way after I left. Yeah. It's interesting too, because a term like when you're starting in this kind of work rate, I, I, I'm guessing the term intersectional wasn't a thing yet, right? Where I mean, I believe it was coined in, in the in the 90s. So it, at some point it was a thing, but I don't recall talking about it ever. 
in my jobs. Yeah, like when I was at graduate no. school, a lot of the these kinds of words are floating around, and I didn't hear intersectional. You know, but that term makes a lot of sense, right? In the sense of just okay, hey, I'm not just one thing. Yeah. I'm often, uh, you know, we all contain multitudes, and stories are complicated. And like you're saying, you're received as a white woman when th- this is in clubhouse. We 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 run this all the time with in the Jewish rooms. This discussion are Jews white, mm-hmm. and it's a complicated discussion because I think it, these concepts are like whiteness is is a fluid thing. It, it, uh, I, things are on a spectrum, right? And they're not you know? always easy to parse out. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Like, I do not. Obviously, Jews were targeted as a race and were persecuted. How many uh, millennia? I I, I, I don't know. You know. And certainly, uh, Nazi Germany, it was, uh, the words were clear, a a race, an inferior race. So all of that is true. And in America, figuring out how to navigate as a person has a lot to do with how the world sees us and categorizes us. So I don't present as a brown you know person who has heritage that's originally from an area but were chased out you know or, i don't know but i guess what's your experience i think the i guess it's an inverted uh graph if your religiosity how religious you are as a jew how conservative you are must in, be inverted with how much you would own being a white person does that make sense yeah yeah i think those things are a factor and also i think how countercultural you are you know, there's a certain, because I think, for instance, my friends that are orthodox, a certain kind of orthodox were uh, distinctive dress, distinctive practices, uh, where they just don't fit in in a metro, in a metro urban area. Yeah. Whereas if you're, let's say if you're a, if you're a, you know, you grew up a conservative Jew or even modern orthodox or something and you're not observant, you really don't, you know, and maybe you have your Ashkenazi, European kind of background, you probably don't stand out as much um, and, and are probably granted the sort of white privilege passes um, you know, because you're you're less other. Um, exactly. At least on appearance. Yeah. It's a practical issue. Exactly. It doesn't. I would never tell someone how to feel about their own identity for exactly the reasons you said. We're all multitudes. But how, like, gosh, clubhouse. I've probably never heard the word patrilineal Jew more than in the first months of clubhouse. I I hear. I say I hear that uh, term multiple times a week on clubhouse multiple yeah. times a week i was like oh yeah i guess no i am one but i navigated the whole like you're more accepted by jewish clubhouse than me i'm everybody's favorite christian in jewish clubhouse i, I, I take that How'd and you... I, I get a little you know i get a little protective i'm like if another christian pops in i'm like hey really? this is my corner of club yeah. hey go find somewhere else but is it like uh, so i'm curious does it feel good to be so embraced, even though you are a Christian minister? The fact that you're of your heritage, maybe us Jews feel like, yeah, no, you're a Jew. Come on. Yeah, I they really say that kind of, yeah. They, yeah they, Very yeah, Jewy you're, face. You're, you're adopted. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah. Well, that's what somebody said to me. Uh, I remember Daniel Mendoza, this guy on the app, said, yeah. that's oh, the yeah. most Jewish, he's British. He said, that is the most Jewish face. I don't care if you're a Christian priest, minister. He's like, look, if there was one spot left on the train to Auschwitz I'd stand next to you in your Jew face <laughs> my god this is <laughs> this is it we would really say that I mean like yeah but that that term patrilineal it's great yeah Jew, and Jewish I mean for those but of you, you are not you, you, you are fine. I'm a creep really yeah and, and well it's interesting too I and your and mother I'm very accepted I'm yeah. very accepted very and, loved. Um, and quite honestly I don't really hang out oh. in the Christian circles and clubs because I don't find them that interesting um, the Jewish rooms I find both 
intellectually and socially interesting. Like I, you know, like even the drama. I like I, I, you know, it's my favorite drama on Clubhouse because you know you and I both have a lot of friends that are tied into the the black world of Clubhouse, and we always talk about which is more dramatic. Black clubhouse or Jewish clubhouse? Because we uh, there's all a Christian clubhouse has its own set of weird drama. It, so you kind of pick the drama that you're that exhilarates you. <laughs> I know. You know what I love about being in rooms on Jewish clubhouse? Uh, interrupting oh, is allowed. There is no. I love this. Oh, in my whole life, I mean, this is a a joke, a, a meme, but also true, and that's why it's uh, generalization, right? That. When I went to grad school, it was this really small group, a cohort for two years. All the Jewish people we just found each other. And like it was this affinity. It's literally been from for my life validation of it doesn't for me. I don't have to feel less of a Jew when I'm with other Jews because I feel the same. So no one told me I had a Jewy face, but I think that picture of us from the weekend. I was like, oh my pretty God, sure we yeah. look alike. Yeah, oh yeah, that's <laughs> fantastic. Yeah, we took a picture of, of, of it was a very, was, just, I'll just, like, kind of my concluding question here or thoughts. Like, so there's a book that's making the rounds right now by a Franciscan okay. monk called Falling Upward. It's getting very good reviews and it's all about basically how you're trying to achieve and climb well, um, for the first half of your life. And he's talking about how to live in the second half of life. You know, and and yeah, I heard Jerry Seinfeld say once, you know, wow. he, he wouldn't like to be young again. He's like, because you miss things, right? You, he's like, there's certain things at a party or social, you, you miss when you're younger and 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 and, and you see more. And I'm curious, what does your following upward look like as you're as you're sort of in um, the second half of life? You're married, um, not been married a tremendously long amount of time. I mean, what 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 do you look forward to? Um, you're in the Catskills. You're, you know, you're. What do you look forward to? In, in in this phase in this season of life what gets you up in the morning swimming and i ha- i mean i know that seems like obvious because but for me it hasn't been a practice and i have figured out post getting breast cancer up here in the catskills which was two years ago and i'm going for a mammogram tomorrow so it's on my mind you're being so, in my prayers and i'm okay thank you very much scott I think I did pray for you once in our friendship. I, I saw you I'd be praying for you, and you're like, "Wow!" You were the first person on Clubhouse I told about it. Do you know that? I I know. Oh, I yeah, remember yeah. that. Yeah. And then I said, "Why the fuck did I tell that guy?" But <laughs> <laughs> but I didn't regret it. I just remember thinking, "You don't really know him. You just know him from the internet." Yeah. Uh, so my falling upward looks like um, it really started. Well, first of all, I'm fifty. Five, so I'm I'm beyond the middle, but I know what you're saying. But you're not. But you're not at the retirement. You're not at the. You know, you're still, no, you're still an yeah. active. That's an interesting phase of life because you're not retired and in the golden age. But you're but you're sort of just past it, midlife. I mean, yeah. And my life changed a lot when I the company I worked at, which I've talked to you about. I won't go deeply into it. W. L. Gorn Associates was like more than just a job to me. It was a community. It was, I planned to retire from there. So when the circumstances came that I chose to go and it was the right thing, you know, I feel like that's what I lost a lot. I missed that. Like the best metaphor is, you know, I still love Gore, but like maybe I wasn't in love with it anymore as an organization and it was mutual. So it was one of those, like, I didn't plan for this to be this unencumbered. I just figured, you know, I'll be working and then I'll retire in my 60s and if I'm lucky enough to get there. So the 
unexpected shift in the middle of COVID. I know you know a lot about this. Life just changes. Uh, I guess my following upward is to keep trusting myself that I will figure out the next thing, even though it scares me sometimes. I'm, I've always had a paycheck. I, I mean, I never haven't had a nine to five and I did okay. I did, you know, pretty well. I led things in a really, in a company I, as I mentioned, I loved. And so I've noticed how much I'm like, who am I now? I have to like redefine it. And I kind of enjoy it. Like that's why I led with swimming, even though my uh, self-censoring side said, you don't say swimming. Swimming is not the right answer. It is for me because that's something that I really need now. I can't believe I'm even a person who says Get in touch. You're in touch with your body. I mean, in touch with your physicality, right? Yeah. Healing in different ways. So I think my falling upward is um, finding ways to help out other people who want to figure out what, like racism, Scott. We, we, I don't think I can solve racism, but I do think I can help other white people, fellow white people, see shit that they can't see because that notion of, you know, culture swimming in water, you don't see it. And at the company I was at, this was not a progressive, particularly progressive area or place. It was actually quite conservative, but I was very inspired by a bunch, uh, many, not all of them. Some of them hated me, by the way. I, I was lucky I came from New York City to Elkton, Maryland, because I was like, yeah, yeah, these people didn't scare me. But Scott, the, the thing that gives me hope and that I do want to keep central to my falling upward, I got to look at that book, is... um. I don't I still make mistakes as far as race, but I don't freak out as much. I have on Clubhouse freaked out, but that's the start for another day. When I got lumped in with a bunch of white people and they said, Dr. Rosenzweig is a is anti-black. And I was like, I'm not a doctor, number one. Oh uh, yeah, sure they two, are. I don't know who that uh, is. Yeah, uh, sure. Yeah. On. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, all right, yeah, all right. Uh, but but I got why that was perceived, so it's okay. But anyway, I do think that within the coaching consulting side of my life my freelance living i have had a couple clients and one has told me you're really good at this you just help us i help her see things that i just can see it because i've been working on this like anyone else you know and so i think i have a, a lot i can share so figuring out ways to do that uh that don't feel like soul crushing or like i don't want to live in a adrenalized state how fancy That's a fifth, is that a power I, word i, I want to be Thank you. Um, I like being calm. I like that when I moved here and I met you, I hated deer, hated them. They were our nemesis. And you were the, one of the few people who would join me in this anti-deer platform. Thankfully, Michael, my husband does too. But now, you know, I watched two times, two cycles, I guess, two springs. We got to see those baby deer. Like, yeah, I, it affected me. What is this, Scott? Help me out, spiritual you're a part of the world. You're part of the world. You're connected in a non-adversarial way with the world around you. It's beautiful. I never would have cared about that before. So when, uh, so I, I like that. And um, well, my daughter, a lot of, I want to be a grandma, a bubby, maybe not, but you know, but I don't know if she's going to have kids. So I'm in this different zone of life. You can't, I can't, I mean, I guess people do it, but I don't want to plan my future based on what she decides to do, but that does look fun. I love babies, Scott. I don't know if I, I only had one child, but so maybe I want to, I see my friends who have become grandmothers go, oh my God, it's so fun. So we'll see. But I want to be around for her adult life and watching her grow up. I mean, she's a remarkable person. So 
and me and Michael. That's it. Well, Jane, this has been I know. this is this has you, been great. And and you and you and your, yeah. your marriage. I mean, you're gonna I'm glad you saw us because you gave up we both left you. We're like, wow, we're getting a good stamp of approval from Scott Jones. We're doing okay. Ah, <laughs> uh, I told everybody. I said I they're great. I know you're life giving. I mean, you're definitely more there's a lot of you together too. Like you it's it's some couples are great couples, but you just don't want to be around the both of them. Thank and you, you guys, it was great to be around really? the both of you. It's was life giving. Oh, thank you. And I look forward to hopefully, hopefully falling upward together, you know, as we uh, <laughs> as we continue to age Please. on this app. <laughs> Clubhouse yes. in life. Jay, yes. thanks. Yes. Um, thanks so much for coming to the podcast. This has been really fun. Scott, thank you for asking me. I was very nervous, but you made it easy. Thank you. Most welcome. Thanks for listening to this episode of Give and Take. If you like what you've heard here, please do a few things for me. Go share about this episode in iTunes. Write a review. Give it a rating. Share the love and goodness. Or go on social media. Share a link to the episode on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. Please pass along the love and goodness if you've experienced it here. Thanks again. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Give and Take. And until next time, friends, fare thee well.